Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com and features interviews and stories about and related to music. Today on the program, Eric Kaur interviews the comedian, poet, and self-help author, Bucky Sinister. Sit back and relax to another episode of Music Live Radio. This one, part two of sensitive badass Bucky Sinister. But first, let's hear a little bit of comedy from Bucky from his album, What Happens in Narnia Stays in Narnia. When I didn't get sober, I was like, you know, I fucked up my life pretty bad, but... uh... You know, I was like, well, you know, what can I do now? I mean, I'm probably like, my life's just going to be real boring. Like, there's probably no good way to fuck up my life. Because face it, that's what's fun, right? Fun is like things that fuck you up. All right. And then uh, I was, after a meeting one day, I heard somebody like talking about this horrible experience they had getting a date off Craigslist. So I'm like, here we go. Here's something I can try. And, and please, just don't do it. And, and Craigslist, I love Craigslist. It's great for things. It's great for getting someone to come pick up your old futon. It's great for getting didgeridoo lessons. All right, beginning or advanced, you know, because you can get either kind. Like beginning, beginning didgeridoo is like this. Okay, and advanced sounds like this. All right, I had a couple weeks of that. Like, believe me, fellas, Burning Man will be one stop, one long non-stop pussy festival. Like, if you like girls from Eugene whose dreads have grown into their pubes. But hey, you know, like, don't hate, you know. All right. What does everybody know her? What? green tortoise for the food, huh? Like, all right. Welcome to Music Life Radio. I'm here with uh, Bucky Sinister today. My name is Eric Kaur from the band Gunpowder. So we've talked about, do I want, which hat do I, would I like you to wear tonight? Do I want you to wear the poetry hat? Do I want you to wear the comedian hat? Or do I want you to wear the self-help 12-step hat? Yeah. And, you know, I was looking for the hat that actually had all three of them in. And get you to talk a little bit about what it is managing the different identities, because generally you don't think of somebody being a poet, comedian, self-help writer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I wrote I wrote poetry for a long time, and I and I had some poetry books, and everything was cool. And right about the time I'm deciding, well, I want to start doing, really start doing comedy. I want to see if I can do both comedy and poetry. Around that time, I was doing a poetry reading, and. And I told people, I said, look, I'm going to be reading all these poems about being drunk and being high. And I'll, And the reason I was able to write this book about it is because I don't do that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you that, like, you know, my only way I was able to be free enough to write this book was because I, I gave up. I gave up getting high. Well, I think these are going to be funny. I don't want you to think that, like, I'm going to read you stuff that, you know, about, about moments where I almost ruined my life. And so, please... Like, don't be offended when I don't smoke out with you after the show, and I'm not going to accept any <laughs> drinks you buy me, you know, because that would inevitably happen. You know, oh, yeah, I'd yeah. Start writing about, like, you know, I'd read a thing about whiskey, and then someone would buy me one. And it worked real well when I liked to drink. Uh, I would I would start readings off by saying what I like to be brought to the stage. I'm just say if yeah. you want to buy me a drink, so I'm not getting, and I'll be like, hey, I'm not getting paid for this reading tonight, so if you guys want to bring me a, a beam and Coke to the stage, uh, that'd be great. By the end of the night, I'd have, you know, in the reading, I'd have four or five down there, like, here's my drinks, get me started, awesome. You know, it's like 20 bucks worth of drinks or something. So, um, I'm reading that stuff, and then there's an editor in the audience, and she said, you should write a self-help book. And I know, and I knew oh, she wow. worked, I knew she worked for this company that did that, and, and I was like, no, no. 
She actually said, you should write a book for us. I was like, absolutely not. So you had already gone from the doing the straight up poetry to the comedy and then that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and one of the things that was, that was happening at the time in publishing, there was like all these books where it's like, I did this thing for a year and now here's a memoir about it. Uh, like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. I, I cooked a different recipe every day for a year. And here's what I learned about my mother. Like, you know, I was like, don't they call that blogging now? Is that- I, I guess it was like kind of in the wake of like uh, supersize me. Right. Like, it was like, I ate McDonald's every day for a month. Here's what happened. So that, that's what was getting published. And I was like, Oh, I want to do this with comedy. Like I want to write a thing about how, like, you know, how people break into comedy and like all the little characters you meet and stuff. And, I don't know. That wasn't really going anywhere. But I, I was like, you know what? I like doing comedy. I think I want to make a run at this. So, yeah, I was trying to figure that out. And then when I got this offer and I was like, no, I can't. I can't do this. I can't. I can't write a self-help book. And I, I, I knew a lot of the other books they'd done. And was like, I don't mm-hmm. understand any of that. Cause they have a lot of kind of new agey stuff. Um, a lot of stuff about energy and, you know healing and, right. and auras and whatever else and, and i was like i don't understand any of that and they also do a lot of astrology and tarot books and i was like i don't know anything about that stuff and i'm i don't have the patience to learn it to write it so classic joseph campbell refusal of the call and you know uh she said why don't you you know put together a proposal of, of the book that you would like you know like because so i was like i don't like self-help books and she's like well what would be the self-help book you would like? And describe that in a proposal. This is a great idea. I'm immediately intrigued by this. Mm-hmm. What would my self-help book be? Like, what would the self-help book I want to read, what would that be? And I just went home and wrote that. And I was like, you know, I could actually write this. <laughs> like, and I put together a whole bunch of chapter headings. And I went in there and they were like, when can you have 35,000 words to us? So this was basically pitched off an outline then. I mean, yeah. after it came unsolicited towards you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, look, if, if, any, if you're a writer and anyone wants to meet with you about any book, like, you do it. Like, yeah. you, you go. Like, that, that happens. That might happen in your career. You do not look at that and be like, no. <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard of it happening before. It'd be like being yeah. a musician and somebody saying, could you just... Do this, it's like, you know, it yeah, doesn't yeah. happen, you know? Yeah, and, and so uh, I, I recognized it for the gift that it was and, you know, went ahead and pursued it a little bit. But I was like, yeah, you know, I can, I can have 35,000 words in like 12 weeks. I get a contract in the mail like two weeks later. They've already started the clock. So now I had like 10 oh, wow. weeks. I, I was like, you sons of bitches. <laughs> so you, you had never really considered doing anything like this up to that point, though. No. Okay. No. And I was just like, you know, say your dad is 12 step book or whatever. Like, right. You know, and, and I was like, I had some things. I was like, look, here's some deal, ki- deal killers. You know, you're not going to put a landscape on the cover. You know, you're not going <laughs> to, you know, you're not going to cloud. You're not going to use recovery font yeah. for this. You know, <laughs> like you're not going to use like, you know what I mean? Like there's certain fonts that people. Oh, use there's, books. yeah, there's certain things like, that are. It's like, I'm not, you know, you're going to have, a, you're going to make a book that, like, a guy in a biker gang wouldn't be embarrassed to be seen with. Like, you're not going to make, you're not going to make the cover, you'll make the cover look like some badass thing. Like, you know, you're not going to make it look like a field of flowers or whatever. Yeah, the cover almost has a DIY feel to it. It's, yeah, it reminds yeah. me of, like, an old rock poster Chuck or something. Sperry designed it. Yeah. It was the Firehouse rock art okay. posters. Yeah. <laughs> like... He's my old bro from way back. He wrote for, uh, he did comics for World War Three magazine and done, uh, made his living in rock posters for like the last, I don't know how many years. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I was like, well, get this guy. And uh, he was stoked to do it. And he's done a couple other book covers since then. Because um, he's just a graphic genius, even though he's like known for his posters. He can do anything. Um, yeah. So that kind of happened and it did pretty well. And it was, they made an electronic copy of it. Right when Kindle started. Oh, wow. And there was, like, no one else had any self-help books, any, like, recovery books in, in Kindle form. But there was, like, two. There was, like, the big book. And there was, like, a couple other things. Oh. So it was it sat at number one on, on electronic books for a while. And that was, like, a real good boost. And then people at Borders and Barnes Noble seemed to like it. 
And they were giving me really good placement in those stores, which was kind of unheard of. I'd actually seen it in one of those before. Yeah. And now, like, as soon as as soon as the chains start treating me well, they start to go under, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so my second book got a little, my second self-help book got, got had a little bit of a struggle because of that. Because, you know, we were planning on, on selling all the same outlets and they just, some of them were physically not there anymore mm-hmm. when we went to sell them. That was kind of a shame, but... I, I had this thing. Suddenly, I was juggling three things at once. And uh, I was like, okay, just you wanted to write another book. It's not the book you wanted to write, but this is the book you you get to write. So I was like, all right, let's see what happens with this. So what's interesting is when like, I'll write about the same incidents. I've written about them in a poem. Mm-hmm. I've made a comedy routine about them, and they're a bit in the book. In the self-help book. And those are my favorite things. It's like I can turn this like any one of three ways. Here's a kind of a sad, tragic part of it. Here's something funny about it. And now here's the part you're going to learn from. <laughs> you know, and it's because it's all like the same stuff. And, and it kind of like, do you, the, the, do you have the Play-Doh factory here, kid? Yeah, yeah, of course. I played with Play-Doh. Yeah, yeah. It's the, uh, there's this Play-Doh factory and they had like, like this thing that would just squeeze, you just squeeze Play-Doh out this hole, and then you put this, you slide different stencils in front of the hole. I'm, so yeah, it like comes out like about, shaped yeah. like a star, or like mm-hmm. shaped like a you know, square or whatever. But it's all Play-Doh. And it's just like, what shape are you pushing it through? And that's kind of what I was doing with this stuff. It's like, well, this idea, this experience of mine was like the Play-Doh. And then it's like, what, what hole am I going to put in front of it? Comedy hole? Poetry hole? Self-help hole, time to squeeze. <laughs> and, you know, so it's like the same stuff to me. Yeah. It's just like the audience is different, you know. Do you ever find it challenging when people, because we talked about this too, is you're going somewhere, somebody has an expectation of that persona they're expecting, and you're, you've, you're expecting to be a different one of those roles. Oh, yeah. How do you manage that? Yeah, it's hard. Like, you know, it, that would catch me off guard sometimes when I would, I would go places and I would ex- be expecting to do a comedy gig and, and they say, Oh, we want you to read something. I was like, I didn't bring any of my books with me. You know, you should have told me, you know, I, I, you know, and, uh, so you, know, you get what musicians get where it's like, can't you just play that song for us? No. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't played that song since we recorded it. You know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't they? Yeah. If they were assuming you're playing a song, you don't play anymore. Yeah. Like, oh, you still know it. Right. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> And then, like, the self-help thing was really weird because I didn't really know how they did their thing. Mm-hmm. I found out, like, a lot of, at a lot of the self-help readings that, like, people want to do Q&As. They just want to ask questions. They don't really even care that much. You just kind of say who you are, and they, they're kind of, like, sitting around waiting for you to shut up so they can ask a question, um, which is kind of odd. Like, you know, I just would read a couple parts of the book and then realize that, like, oh, everybody has their hand up. So they've already read the book, so it's really redundant and well the self-help crowd there's there's some people who only read self-help books okay that's all they read uh some of them for themselves there's these kind of busybody self-help people mm-hmm. who buy a book and they give it to someone that they think needs it <laughs> and you, you know you might have a relative like that because they always seem like because a lot of people i realize this because a lot of people are like oh i'm getting this for my nephew he's in a rock band <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if he was. I said, is he trying to quit drugs and alcohol? No, but he should. I'm like, uh, oh god, like this is gonna throw him away. But whatever, I still get my cut. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, there's that. There's the people who like. I don't know. It's almost like they're they're self help naysayers. They read all the self help books, but they want to tell you why you're wrong. Okay. And those are, I wasn't prepared for those people at all. Like, they wanted to point out the flaws in, in my book. Sometimes they hadn't read it, but they'd like, come by and make, let me know that, like, you know, I, I wasn't doing things right. Those are those people that comment on the news things on the internet, aren't they? Yeah. But I don't think they actually read the articles. I think they, they have nothing else to do. Well, yeah, the, the people who comment on, like, some 
unrelated political thing. Yeah. And the Beira's like, you know, well, you know, it's like, hey, you know, this this puppy, like, you know, gets out of, you know, gets stuck in a pipe, and someone gets it out. Ah, oh. and then so like, you know, and then someone will comment like, well, that's Obama for you. Right, and, yeah, and you're like, what? How did you get there from there? It's like, Obama hates puppies. Okay, what the? What, what are you talking mm-hmm. about? It's it's like that. There's a whole stream of comments that have nothing to do with the article. Yeah, yeah, because you know my first self help book is like trying to convince people why they should get into a twelve step program. And if you read it, like I don't really have any answers in there. That's kind of the thing. It's like this is a self help book without answers. I'm just going to try to convince you that you should find a twelve step group that fits your needs. And uh, here's why you should go. And here are the misconceptions I had. Like if I had had this book, I would have been able to go to a twelve step meeting about a year before I did. Because I was ready to quit that last year, and I was trying everything but going to twelve step meeting because I thought these things about them, mm-hmm. which all turned out to be not true. And so I, I around around that, and, and so a lot of people would come to the thing, and they'd be like, "How dare you talk this way about twelve step programs? Like they saved my life." I'm like, "Dude, that's what I'm saying in the book. Like that's you gotta read the book. I'm not saying that. Like I'm not offering like some alternative to that. Like I'm trying to convince you to go." I'm trying to convince you to find help and not try to do things on your own. No, I think you opened the door to more people than could have ever found their way. I mean, it just, you, you, you presented it in a way that you used common language. Yeah. And you, uh, you told your stories and stories of people you knew in a way that, yeah, it was like, okay, this is a place we can all go and, and we're all here already. So, you know, it's, it was cool. Yeah. I, I really wish more people would write their stories. I really wish they would. Like, I, I, they would, you know, have some kind of access to it. I knew this one guy who 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 got sober in the penitentiary, and he ended up with lung cancer, and he died. But uh, he had great stories. But he said, "I wish he'd written them down. They were amazing." Yeah. And but these 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 things that like I learned a lot from, and it, it's just in the wind. And you know what's weird though is I know like I mean when I when I speak in twelve step meetings, I tell my story is I often start out my story by, if you've ever heard me before, I probably won't tell the story in the same way. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm standing in a different place today. Yeah. And what happens is it's, 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 it's harder to sell the same story over and over again because I can't see the story with those eyes anymore. You know, it's, it's like singing a song. Yeah. There's songs you stop singing. There's, I bet there's poems you stop reading. Like oh, there's yeah, probably yeah. poems that you're just like, I can't even connect. I don't even know who, who wrote that anymore. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there, there's poems I wrote. I I had some poems published that I wrote when I was a teenager, and and um, yeah, I don't feel that way anymore. And they're mm-hmm. all kind of like, oh, God, I don't I don't really like the mindset I have in my room. And, and in case y'all get an email from some kid like, I'm in high school, and this is the only poem I've ever liked. I'm like, yeah, I get it because I was like a little bit older than you when I wrote this, yeah. and, and uh, so that makes sense that we're in the same place. Like you know, like. That something I wrote at nineteen speaks to you at seventeen, and uh, kind of at the right age for this to make sense to you. And um, are you writing more recovery stuff, or what are you? My publisher is down to do more stuff, and at this point, it's like I kind of put down all the ideas I had. Like I don't really like. I, I put down all the ideas I had and stuff, and I don't really have much more to go with it. Um, what do you want to do? If I was your publisher and I said, Bucky. Look, we just want you to write. What do you want to write? I mean, I, I I've never written a, a, a novel that was any good, and 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 I kind of like to do that. I mean, that's on my list of things I I want to do. Unfortunately, like I usually get to about fifteen or twenty pages and realize this is all I had to say. And eh. like, I don't really have big novel ideas. I just would like the I like the idea of writing a novel. I just don't know what I would say. Um, there's that. I worked on. Uh, I wrote. I did write a uh, a, a TV pilot script mm-hmm. um, that I'm trying to figure out how to shop now. I turned um, on TV the other day. Was it you? It was some kind of monster show. I swear to God, there was some guy dressed in Halloween makeup, and I'm like, "That's Bucky." Oh, I don't it's like think so. Some kind of coffee TV. Okay, I had yeah. to ask because it's like, because he, he has a, a similar accent to yours, a similar oh, tone yeah, yeah. of the voice. I'm yeah. like, well, that could be Bucky with makeup. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. I, I I did a lot of stuff for a while, and and like people were like, can can I, you know, can I can I shoot you for this or that? Can you do a scene in this thing? And occasionally, like one of them would show up somewhere, and I'd be like, oh geez, that thing <laughs> happened. Um, so that's why I'm kind of like, I'm not sure if that was me. I did I did do a scene uh, this summer for Bobcat Goldthwait. 
Oh, uh, wow. In, in his next movie. And I don't talk about that too much because like, I'm in one scene that could get cut. <laughs> you know, like, and then I'll be there by like, hey, where's your, where's your big scene, man? <laughs> like, uh, but that, that was, yeah, that's that was really, you got it by the DVD scene then, you know, that's, yeah, so yeah. that's the next hook, you know. It's, yeah, so hopefully I'm, I'm in this oh, awesome really cool. Bobcat Goldthwaite film. But yeah, that kind of inspired me, like, just even being on the, on a set with him. Yeah. For like a day and a half. He just does these small films now that are amazing. Yeah. God bless America. Did you see that? No, no. The I, world's greatest dad. Okay, you, you got to check these things out, and you'll be like, this is Bobcat Goldthwait? And like, yes, this is amazing. This is great stuff. Like, he's just in this weird place. He, he told me, he's like, I'm in my Ed Wood phase of my life. I'm just going to make these movies, and no one can tell me what to do with them. Yeah. You know? And uh, so it was, he's really inspiring. So I, I went home, and, and I, wrote a, I wrote a script for a TV show, and I, don't, I have no idea what it's about. It's about recovery. And it's about like following guys as they try to live their lives, you know, after a meeting, like all the things we run into mm-hmm. as men. It's a man show, <laughs> you know, about men's issues. Without beer. Yeah. We see these guys that are either like they're badasses or they're family men, <laughs> but I've never really seen like the real struggle of, you know, uh, what we go through with like sex and porn and gambling and and violence and anger and you know all this stuff all this stuff that comes up for us like the the issue of transference when we quit drinking like what do we pick up Mm -hmm. you know do we i see so many people like bottom out on something else you know because you know it's for anyone who's listening who doesn't know why we i would still go to 12-step meetings like 10 years later like this is why it's like you know you know i don't have alcohol cravings anymore uh, but I'll act like a drunk in a moment's notice. Like, you mm-hmm. know, that's how I was, that's how I trained my brain to work, you know? So it's like, I'm like a drunk in a bar. It gets real mad easy. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, and, and, you know, now I, you don't have the benefit of me being too slow and slurry and, and stumbly to do anything about it. Like I'm, I'm physically fit, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm no, a I, danger now. <laughs> I got sober at 24 and I remember people would talk about the record to their past and I didn't, I wasn't old enough to have that much of a past at that point. Good. Yeah. But what I happened to me is I was like a, 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 a fucking hurricane and I started yeah. creating the record to my present Yeah, yeah. because I was just spinning and spinning and there was nothing to hold it back. And yeah, totally relate. And even today I, 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 I can't even buy I can't even buy Diet Mountain Dew and put it in my refrigerator. It sounds silly. You can't buy what? Diet Mountain Dew. If I buy Diet Mountain Dew, I buy a 12-pack, oh, yeah. I will drink the 12-pack before the end of the night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will watch my... It's almost like I'm watching a movie because I will watch myself justify every, every one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. It's fine. By the end of the night, my heart's pounding and I feel like shit. I'm like, you know, maybe that wasn't a good idea. And I have the whole night to think about it because yeah. I can't sleep. So, you know, it's... yeah. But it just, it's just little shit like that. I'm always going like, oh, yeah. oh my God, you know, it's, it's, but it's on a moment's notice that spin can hit, you know? Oh, sure. Let's see, what else am I doing? Uh, yeah, so I wrote that thing. I'm trying to, trying to push it around. I, I'm taking notes on, on a, uh, on a philosophy book. And I guess, yeah, if you were telling me what else, right, I'd probably dive into this thing, but I'm still kind of a notes phase. And I'm also kind of looking at other philosophy uh, books. See if this thing's already been written. I'm in real danger of like seeing something on Discovery Channel and then thinking I thought of it. I can do that, but it would be about um, just kind of like uh, just the motivations of the atheist mind. You know, it'd be like an atheist philosophy thing, and it's kind of connected to the, the higher power problem that mm-hmm. atheists have. But if I could, if I could solve the God, God problem for atheists, I would definitely do that. I would, I would love to do that because. I still work with that myself and I have a good enough handle on it myself to where I feel comfortable with it. But if I could really explain like what, what's in the soup in my head, if I could really break it mm-hmm. down for people, then I, I would definitely do that. No, I, I, and that's one of the things I really liked about your, your, your book that you wrote too, is that you talk about atheism in a way that's that you, you frame it, you give it a different framework yeah, than I've ever yeah. seen before, basically. The, the atheists we know of in, in culture like are usually kind of like either vindictive or angry. They want to prove why someone's wrong. Uh, they want to say, like, oh, here's why God's not real. Or like, here's why you're wrong. Here's how we're being oppressed because it says God on our money or whatever. 
Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely not like that. And and there, but like those are the ones you hear. Those are mm-hmm. the loud ones. You know, and it's like, is there like kind of a more positive kind of atheism? Like, because I I do like I'm an existentialist, you know, and and you know, the, the, even the picture of that is it's very dour, sad thing. And, and the core of that is that like nothing inherently matters. Although your whole thing in life is to find something that does matter to you. That that's the kind of thing, and I think that's kind of positive, kind of nice. It's like find something you care about, find something that makes you happy, find something that makes the world better for you being here, and do that. I think the world's better if I'm doing stand up comedy and, and reading poems, and, and you know, and 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 watching movies that I like. Yeah, I've been in this recovery group that I'm not supposed to bring into public controversy by mentioning it by name and place like this, but it's really easy to spell, like especially if you stutter. And, uh, yeah, like, I got in there, I told them, like, you know, I don't know if I want to come because I'm an atheist. They're like, oh, no, it doesn't matter, like, you know, whatever. Then they say the Lord's Prayer at the end of, like, half the meetings. And, uh, you know, so I'm like, like, all through the meetings, it's like, oh, yeah, and then God, you know, God came to me in my prison cell and made some Bruno and maybe it wasn't such a good idea. And I'm like, okay, like, there's a lot of this God talk in here, and I don't really know. And they're like, oh, no, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not really God. It's like a higher power. It's like... Anything you want to be, I was like, really? You got to just like make up God? And I'm like, yeah. So uh, you just make him up, just, just like, you know, like rolling up a DD character or something like that. You know, just like, oh, this is God. Like, you know, I rolled a D20 and it says he's got wings and he, you know, likes for loops. And uh, he poops ice cream. Like, uh, great. Like, you know, whatever. And, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, it's just a higher power. And, like, you know, I, I, and then, like, sometimes I say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of a pure atheist. I don't really believe that there's a higher power in the universe. And every time I've said this, like after a meeting in a big group, there's this one dude who will come out of like nowhere with like prison tats on his face and be like, he's got to all break it down for me. He's all like, you think there's nothing in this universe more powerful than you? You think you're more powerful than a tidal wave? You think you're stronger than a lion? <laughs> and I, okay, look, you know, I'm not going to ask a tidal wave to help me with my ninth step or whatever. <laughs> You know, and, and like, just because I can't fist fight a gorilla doesn't mean I'm going to ask one to sponsor me. <laughs> and uh, it is really like, oh God, it's just really like, here's the thing, here's the thing that, that gets me, really, like, if, it's like, if I said like Santa Claus is my higher power, they would fucking humor me. They would go along with it. Like, oh yeah, my higher power is a pink lesbian bunny named Lulu. And they'd be like, no, these big like ex-con dudes, like, you know, they'd be like, well, but yeah, you need to, you know, ask Lulu for help, like, you know, you know, making amends to people you don't know, right. And like, they would totally go along with it. But the whole idea that I'm responsible for my own moral and ethical choices is like, whoa, like, you know, so get a little bit heady on us. So like, you know, like, woo, you know. Uh, and there's, there's one other thing I gotta throw in before I stop making fun of my recovery group that's helped me, like, they're the roughest point in my life. Uh, <laughs> like, this is how I repay them, I, like, make fun of them. Uh, and it's like, they're like, they always got, they always see this guy in there, he's always, like, you know, telling a story, and then, like, it gets, starts to get real quiet, he's all like, yeah, and then, uh, then I drove my, my truck into that busload of retarded kids, and, and, and uh, and, uh, that's when I, that's when God gave me a moment of clarity, and, uh, and it was, it was a, that moment of clarity was a miracle, it was a miracle that, that I'm here. That's why I'm here, it's a miracle. It's like, no, that wasn't a miracle, dude, that was wild turkey. You know, like, I don't know, it's just all like, it's a miracle. But everybody's like, just throwing this word miracle around, like Oprah, like, it's a miracle day! Today we have this little fucking kid who was like, born like, three months premature! And like, it's saved by miracle! No, it's saved by doctors. But even the doctors will say like, hey, Oprah, we did everything, we could for this kid, and then like, I don't know, it lived anyway. And it's like, oh yeah, like, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Because they're all like, you know, like, like they're just kind of cheapening all of the stuff that Jesus guy did. And we're like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, Jesus, you know, it's really great that, you know, you brought Lazarus back to life after he was dead for three days. But, you know, I know this guy in Omaha lost 90 pounds by not eating carbs. Like, <laughs> fucking miracle diet. Yeah, you know. In my second self-help book, I, I had a thing in there about uh, why atheists should pray. The people who were most upset with this were the atheists and not <laughs> anyone else. And, like, the whole premise of the thing is that, like, ah, I think prayer works because of transmission, not because of reception. Mm-hmm. I think prayer works because you do it. And this is why, like, all these different cultures pray. And it's not that there's all these different gods out there. It's just that, like, by praying, like, you enact this thing in, in, in your own self. 
And, uh, you know, I, I thought the religious people would be mad about that. Be saying, like, ah, God doesn't hear you. <laughs> it just matters that you speak to him, you know, because <laughs> he's not real. But, like, if you speak to him, it matters. And uh, it makes a difference. And, yeah, it was more the atheists. I got, I got a lot of angry mail from atheists about that. Like, how dare you? Atheists don't need to pray. Like, that's BS. It's just, you know. Don't assimilate like a religious value, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, wow, really? A lot of people don't realize you actually have a really strong religious background. So oh, yeah. you actually could speak the language on both sides quite well. Yeah, I grew up fundamentalist. And, you know, when I dropped out of that, I went and looked at all the other religions, you know, trying to find something. I, I didn't want to be without religion. I knew the one I was in was wrong. Mm-hmm. I had come to that conclusion. It was like, oh, I don't know where God is, but he's not here. And so I went on a search for God for a couple of years. And, you know, is God here? Is God in this faith? Is God in that faith? And I couldn't find him. And then I went to the other philosophies. You know, I looked at Taoism and Buddhism and things. And I was like, I don't really know about this either. <laughs> like, you know, and uh, I did have this moment that I really love. One of my, kind of my favorite moments in this whole quest was when I, I, I was talking uh, to this very young rabbi. He was open to talking to me. And I was like, look, I grew up fundamentalist. We agreed with the Old Testament. We, we studied the Old Testament. So I know the first five books. I know the Torah pretty well, you know, and uh, it's kind of fundamental. So we were, we believed in the Old Testament, except anything that was neutralized by the New Testament. Like, uh, not you don't, in the New Testament, they say you don't have to eat kosher anymore. So we didn't eat kosher, <laughs> you know, things like that. But we, we say it's like, you know, Judaism is very close to our hearts. And so I said, you know, I'm, I really like Judaism, but the problem is I don't know if I believe in God. And he said, well, that isn't really important. I was like, what do you mean? He says, God doesn't care if you don't believe in him. He just wants you to do what he says. And I was like, wow, that's kind of brilliant. <laughs> I, I love that so much, you know, and uh, it was, I thought it was such great logic. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, that's the, that's the way he looked at it. It was mm-hmm. just like, just do what God says. doesn't matter if he's real. <laughs> like, like, wow. It's the first time anybody in any religion ever said that to me. It doesn't matter. You don't have to believe. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> like the act as if thing they talk about in 12 step all the time. You know, yeah. It's like, yeah. If it's, if you know, if you don't know how to be a happy person, well, look at a happy, how, how you perceive happy people to be. Yeah. Start doing what they're doing and maybe it'll kick, kick in for you. You know, um, when I was doing my evangelical work as a teenager, there was this Hebrew school that would let out and they would come bother me these kids and they would be like they they thought it was so funny and they would they would talk to me kind of they were snotty kids you know they were like in hebrew school but they're still snotty so they would their way of making fun of me and heckling me and stuff was like do you really believe in hell that's what they'd always come up to me and they would bring their other friends over this guy really believes in hell and they thought it was hilarious. I just can't imagine that. that, that was, that's a little different than some of the classroom fights. I remember when I was a kid. The, the, yeah, the, the yeah. You know, I mean, they were good kids. They just thought it was hilarious. They, they'd heard that there was these people who, you know, they, you know, Christians that made up as hell. And I was like, you evangelical, like you know, I was out on the street, like talking about this stuff. So they'd be like, you really believe in hell? I was like, oh. yeah. And they're like, why? I was like, well, it's in the Bible. And they're like, not my Bible. <laughs> and I was like. I can't, what, what am I going to say to that? Just like, you know, I was like, yeah, it's in the Old Testament. Like, nah, it's not. <laughs> like, you know, they forced me to look at my own Bible again. Like, in this book, in Job, like, he's talking to the devil, and he's like, that's his adversary. That's all it says there. And so it says devil in my book. It's not in ours, not in the Hebrew. That's what it's written in. Uh-huh. You know, and they would just love this. They could, they could talk to her, like, I ain't read it in Hebrew. So they were doing all day, so they loved to come out there with their knowledge and nerd me. They're like That's Bible nerding awesome. me. The, the playground theological throwdown. Because yeah. you know, all the all the people who were evangelizing the same spot were like, you know, we we all had the same spots, you know. When you're out in public, you know, you just go to the kind of high traffic areas or near college like, campuses and stuff. Right? the market. Yeah, yeah. That's so, a hot spot now. It's, yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I ended up having to talk to the Nation of Islam guys, you know. They had their own things and the way they thought the world worked, and you know, which is far out, man. I mean, like that, I didn't know that's not what all Islam was. Like, I thought that's what every Muslim believed. It was like what the Nation of Islam believes, and it's like, it's different. It's like, that's like comparing the 
Mormons to the rest of the Christians or whatever. They got their own separate thing going on. Um, so it's, and it's really crazy. It's really out there. Like my apologies to anyone who's listening to this, who's offended, but I, I, I just can't wrap my head around some of the stuff they come up with. So uh, at them, and then I was also nearby where the Unification Church was, which is uh, uh, what was sometimes referred to as the Moonies. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's their official name is Unification Church. So where were you when you were doing all this? Where? Yeah. Uh, this is mostly Boston. Oh, okay. Yeah, we lived okay. up there. We're like, we're like fundamentalists, and then we moved there, and we joined this evangelical church. Okay. That I, I don't like to mention by name, because some of them are no, pretty fine, radical. Yeah. Um, a little vindictive. Uh, but where yeah, the, I'm thinking Boston. Where were the Catholics and all this? I mean, that must have been. Uh, you know, the Catholics don't really evangelize like that. You know, like they. they well, no, yeah, I know. I was raised Catholic, and we just it nothing really mattered. Yeah, like they it was more of a like, social club. Yeah, like the Catholics, they'll send they they have a history of sending people to foreign countries mm-hmm. to like you know start a mission or whatever. But like once they're like you know in the U.S., they don't really like stand on street corners and preach or invite people to Bible studies or whatever, you know. I've seen, like, a lot of religion from a lot of different angles, and, you know, a lot of people in, in 12-step circles um, have this other god that's not in any religion, mm-hmm. and they're kind of cool with it. I call it junkie god junkie these god. days. Because um, they, they, they have all these things about stuff that God does, and, you know, they'll just say it in a meeting, like, you know, God never gives you more than what you can handle. It's like, what, what what's that from? <laughs> well, how, do you, how do you know this? Like, you know, is that is that in a book? Is that in a religious text? No, it's not. It's it's just this thing that's Don't like... Don't get this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's this thing that's been passed around meetings. And it's like, it, it's in no... That doesn't happen. That 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 idea appears in no religious text. It's just it's something that's like, yeah, God does give you more than what you can handle. Like, you know, cancer, you die. There you go. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, sometimes you lose your mind. Sometimes you go crazy. Like, God, you couldn't handle that, could you? had a nervous breakdown <laughs> you know and it's these things that they say about god that makes them feel better yeah and you know what that's kind of all they really need so i don't want to be like you're wrong but it's it's funny because there's a lot of things like that and i you know i would love to find out all of those and put put those in one place you know the, the attributes of junkie god they have this kind of almost this magical realism of god mm-hmm. as well that a lot of other a lot of other religions don't don't have and uh, where they you know, be like, yeah, you know, I walked out of my uh, walked out of my house in this, and and the liquor, I looked at the liquor store across the street, and a guy came out of the liquor store and threw up on the side of the wall. That was God telling me I need to go to a meeting. Really, <laughs> that's that's what that was. God did that to to tell you this other thing. He like acts this way, like he's using people as puppets. Like it's like oh. it's 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 really odd. But like you know, and, and it's like I understand like metaphorically, like if God's a metaphor, sure, but. You know, this thing, that's not how God uses people, and that's not how God conveys messages. In any religion, he doesn't have that, and it's just, but, you know, junkie God does it, and and it's okay. And and because of that, like, you know, I see all these things like that, and I realize, okay, when they talk about God, it's this kind of group God that, like, was made up here, and it's kind of okay, and it's not... It's not really as scary or as offensive as it used to be because they don't think of the same. They don't think of the same God. I think of when I say the word God, because mm-hmm. I, I think of this, this very vindictive, angry fundamentalist God. That uh, you know, hey, you know what? If someone doesn't hear about the good news of Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, then they go to hell, and it's up to you to teach them about that. So you got to go all over the world, like telling everybody, and shove it down their throats. You know, and and you know that's that's a guy I think of. I'm like, oh, you're thinking of this. The kind of vague thing. It's almost like more of a shamanistic type of thing where everybody's almost like, because it seems like everybody's interpreting signals and signs. Yeah. And, you know, it's, yeah. It's like, you know, a bunch of people are like, oh, yeah, we believe in God, but they, they're, they're, you know, they even say things about, you know, God made me this way, but they don't, they don't believe in creationism. Well, they believe in what they need to, it's more of a yeah. survival God. It's like, I believe yeah. in what I need to get through this moment and, you know, and see what happens in the next one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just love it if that's the guy that survives civilization. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like out of all the religions that survives, it's that one, you know. And it's kind of cool. We've been on uh, we've been kind of kind of a ride into a whole bunch of different places today. Yeah. Kind of past present uh touched a little bit in the future as it yeah. might be. <laughs> so, for some reason I'm seeing a movie with with you doing a street corner comedy film. 
like oh, you were yeah. describing, like the kids coming out and you getting into those the battles, you know, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know where it, I would take it. It would actually be really funny or really offensive, you know. It's, it could go either I way. I know, I know, and in like I yeah. If I did that, if I could, if I ever really got like all that together, I mean, it would, it would be great. I mean, there was, there was a day I had to go, uh, what we call door knocking, you know, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, you go around just what it sounds like. You go around knocking people's doors and you ask them to church. But I was in the same neighborhood as Jehovah's Witnesses and there were a couple of houses ahead of me. Um, so I was the second person to bother everyone that day and like so everyone like it was just like the longest day of my life i and, and i i tell people this story and they're like why why don't you just not do it i'm like man you you don't get it like i, I was supposed to do this i was told to do this i had to do it i had to knock on everybody's door god put you there it's, yeah you know. yeah and uh you, you know it, it was just like there's some moments like that that are like that were kind of comedic, but I, I don't know. I don't know enough of where I would go with it. You know, Tony Duchesne, you ever Mm-mm. hear him? He wrote this book called Confessions of a Teenage Jesus Jerk about his time in Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's pretty fantastic. And that's a pretty funny book. And uh, I really enjoyed that book uh, to the point where I got him to come read from it at, at my comedy show, my weekly comedy oh, well. show. It was like, yeah, this is funny. Just come down here and read parts that get laughs. People loved it. You know, it's just whatever. Who doesn't? Who's not going to like that? His, his story about like feeling awkward being a teenager and having to do this embarrassing thing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of universal. We're all embarrassed by something at that age. Oh, yeah. Might as well be church and study your parents or whatever. Like, Is there anything we haven't talked about that you really want to talk about? Anything going on or anything that's coming up? Or I don't know. I have a weekly comedy show if you guys are in San Francisco. Uh, I'm usually at the dark room every Wednesday at 8. And that's and, the, it's the group, the business, right? Yeah, yeah, and we're we're there with like you know, there's there's nine of us all together in two different cities. There's a business that happens every Thursday as well in L.A. If you're in L.A., <laughs> son of my voice, uh, look look for it on Thursdays, and it's Wednesdays in San Francisco, and it's uh, in we the, have the dark room on Mission Street, right? Yeah, okay. the dark room is ours. I, I just they just doing the one in L.A. for a couple of weeks. I can't remember where that one is. It's in Los Feliz somewhere. The darkroom but, show I went to was awesome. Yeah, you yeah, had a lot you. of special guests there. Yeah, yeah, we bring in other people. And it's like there's in in SF. There's like five of us who live here, and usually like two of us have another gig that night. So there's usually three regulars, and and then like whatever else we have as guests down there. We've had uh, we you know we had W. Kamal Bell back in the day before he got big. Uh, we also had Hannibal Burris there uh, uh, about a year ago, and. There's other some other pros like come in. Lori Kilmartin came in before, and Todd Berry, and some other people, and it's pretty it's pretty cool. Like you know, like a lot of people come in like a day early for something, you know, like like for a, you know they'll have a Thursday through Sunday gig mm-hmm. uh, at the Punchline or something. They'll come in a day early and try out their new jokes that night there, so anyone can really walk in. It's been pretty awesome. Kyle Kinane came there one time, just tore it up. Um, well, it's a really intimate venue too. I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah, it's like a forty-nine seat theater. Yeah, uh, it seats technically a little more than that, but that's like kind of like a, uh, I don't know, that's just kind of like some kind of fire code description or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So basically, like once you get like thirty people in there, it starts to feel really intense. So it's it's pretty great. Yeah, and we're going to be doing like some shows in Sketchfest this year. So they've been booking us now at other places, like you know, Cobbs and the Punchline, to come in as a group and do our thing there so it's been kind of interesting i definitely think like that's kind of my main thing now is just doing comedy all the time and and doing that on a weekly basis i don't really participate in the poetry scene that much anymore and there's a lot of poets i still like but the scene as a whole i'm not really that interested in i just don't see the the scene having the same cultural value as it once did it used to be kind of your own scene in a way because you used to do the chameleon thing every yeah, nights, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. I kind of take that same energy and I put it back in my comedy show now. You know, I still like that. Apparently, that was the thing that made me really happy about myself was running a show. So that's why I do this other thing. But now I have help. Uh, I have other people run it with me, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, like poetry kind of lost its. It's uh, one of the things it lost. It lost its uh, difference of voice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. Uh, very homogenous now. It's like it sounds. You know, poetry reading. Everybody kind of sounds the same. Yeah. 
and it's all about the same kind of stuff. And, you know, when someone does a sad poem, it's sad from the beginning and stays sad through the thing. You kind of know when they go up there, like, this is a sad poem about my grandma. This is a political poem about racism or whatever it is. And there's no doubt. There's no moral ambiguity. You know, it's all just very kind of easy. It's just one note kind of stuff. And, you know, it's never something that really makes you think or question your own values. It's like pretty much preaching to the choir. And, and the comedy shows, you know, you go to a big comedy show, like like a showcase at the punchline or something, you'll probably see a comic that offends you. You know, out of like the 12 comics they have, one of them, you don't think it's offensive. Like, it's going to make you a little bit upset that you heard it. And then like, one person, uh, it'll be a couple people who just aren't, aren't funny. Mm-hmm. But then there'll be some guys trying to do political jokes. And, you know, and, 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 you know, someone else is just doing dating jokes. And then, like, I, there's one guy who went up last week. He just yelled the whole time. He was like, everything he said was in a fucking scream. You know, and it just sounded different. Like, there's one guy who's quiet, this other guy's loud. Everybody's trying to find a different way to be funny. And one guy's more physical, and this guy's, like, kind of lighthearted. And this guy's just kind of mean. Like, somebody's just got one guy got there and insulted a bunch of people in the audience. You know, and there's like different ways to go about it, but they're all trying to be funny. That's yeah. the thing. It's like we're all trying to get laughs, and that's the thing that, that equals us all out. And I really like that, and I like the cultural impact it has too. You know, and I I, I appreciate not having you know that kind of social stigma of saying I'm a poet. I I wrote and read a poem for a friend of mine's wedding not too long ago, a few months ago, and when I went up there in front of his family, in front of both of their families. I said, there's, there's nothing more socially alienating in this society than saying, I've written a poem, and I'd like to share it with you. Um, <laughs> and, like, that's, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrible thing. And they all laughed. And that, that line killed me because it's like, yeah, this is true. My, this it's is true. It. No one wants to hear your poem. Nobody. And that was all my thing as, like, a poet. It was like, can I convince people to listen? I had to convince people all the time. I had to go to a comedy club. Bunch of people there want to see it. It's fantastic. <laughs> I don't. I don't have to convince anyone. Like, like, oh, not like you know, maybe I had to get get people out of the house, but I don't have to convince them that like I'm not horrible at it. I think we've gone through such dark times too that people just really want to laugh. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, this has been really cool. You know, it's it's uh, your website is www.buckysinister.com. You can find that, yeah. Okay. That works. And I, I did notice there was one common thread when I looked at the website is that uh, you're going to talk about drugs and alcohol in your poetry, in your oh, writing, yeah. and in the comedy show. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that's a guarantee. So if somebody meets you, at least you'll be talking about it. You may not share a drink with them, but you'll yeah. you'll share a story, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and for, you know, for anybody listening to this is... Uh, Really, it's it's your poetry. I've seen it really impact a lot of people. Oh, thank you. And you know, there's a there's a reason I don't get those books back. Yeah. <laughs> and even keep buying them and giving them away. You know, if I could, I would. If there's some of them I can't find anymore, but uh, and the self help books too. I've I've you know I've bought a bunch of those. I've shared them with people, and I never get those back either. Nice. But the feedback I get is people go, you know, this spoke to me in a way that nothing spoke to me before. Yeah. And one of the things that I know that I'm really grateful for your work is this, you have a voice and a way of framing things and a way of perceiving things that a lot of people don't know how to articulate. Oh, thank you. And I think it's just, it's a really important thing. So are you guys uh, sponsored by audible, Audible audible.com? They they have a, they have an audio book of mine up there. Uh, There's get up is is an audio book. Okay. Uh, Now read by the, uh, the upright citizens brigade, uh, Sean, Sean, uh, Sean Conroy. He's fantastic. Cool guy. (laughs) Right that's the only thing I can think of. Anything else you want to plug? Now's so the that's time. That's good. I, I want to always plug that on podcasts and radio and stuff because it seems to be the similar crowd of people who buy audiobooks. So I do have a, a, a record. Well, plug it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's called Sensitive Badass. Um, <laughs> if you go look over at Bandcamp right now, it's actually on Name Your Price. Yeah, go, go over to Bandcamp for Bucky Sinister. Sensitive Badass. Name Your Price. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming out tonight. This has been great. Thanks again to Eric and Bucky for the interview. Before we go, we've got a poem by Bucky Sinister off of Sensitive Badass. This one entitled, The Other Universe of Bruce Wayne.
This is um, the other universe of Bruce Wayne. There's an alternate universe in which Bruce Wayne is poor and I have my shit together. Without money, there's no Batman. There's no Batmobile. There's no Batcave, no utility belts, much less a cool butler and a trusted sidekick. Without Batman, there's no crime fighting. There's no hot vigilante action. There's no pensive brooding on the rooftops of Gotham. In this universe, Bruce Wayne drinks alone in his trailer home in Arkansas. Bruce has one friend, me. He calls me in the middle of the night. Hey, it's Bruce. Can you come get me? I'm feeling real low. I can tell by the sound of his voice that he's been dumped again. In this universe, Bruce Wayne ain't that lucky in love. I pull up outside his trailer in my convertible 63 Lincoln Continental. Bruce makes his way inside the car, reeking of whiskey and cigarettes. She's gone, he says. Can we stop by the store? When we get to the store, Bruce hobbles in. His knees and feet have seen better days. He has a couple of vertebrae in his lower back that cracked and healed poorly that gives him constant pain. He has chronic headaches. The VA hospital won't do anything about. They say it's psychosomatic. I buy Bruce another bottle of whiskey and we go back to my place. I know he doesn't want to talk. He just doesn't want to be alone. I turn on the TV and we watch as he drinks. We watch The Tonight Show with Lenny Bruce. Tonight's guest is Jimi Hendrix. He's plugging the album he just cut with Miles Davis, The Kind of Blue Haze Experience. He's asleep by the time Late Night with Bill Hicks comes on. During the guest bit, when Richard Pryor's talking about the cure for multiple sclerosis, I hear Bruce talking, unawake but not rested. Bruce talks in his sleep, and I would let him, but when he starts screaming, It's not fucking right! It's not fucking right! It's not fucking right! I have to wake him. When he finally realizes he's awake, he instinctively moves for the whiskey. He's shaking so hard he can't pour it, so he drinks it right out the bottle. I sit next to him and hold him close to me. It's okay, Bruce. There's another universe out there in which everyone loves you. Children read about you in comic books. Adults make movies about you. And you symbolize justice in human form. Bruce looks up. And in this other universe, he asks, What are you? Bruce, I say, don't you concern yourself with that. Thanks again for checking out Music Live Radio. I'm your host, Dan Sauter. Music by the Gillbillies. Check them out on MySpace slash the Gillbillies. And on Facebook. Type in the Gillbillies and you'll find them. And some final advice from Bucky about writing a book. You want to make a book that, like, a guy in a biker gang wouldn't be embarrassed to be seen with.